Wayland Corporation, building better worlds. Hello, friends. My name is Peter Wayland. I am your employer. I am recording this 22 June 2091. And if you're watching it, you've reached your destination. And I am long dead. May I rest in peace. There's a man sitting with you today. His name is David. And he is the closest thing to a son I will ever have. Unfortunately, he is, he is not human. He will never grow old, and he will never die. And yet he is unable to appreciate these remarkable gifts. For that would require the one thing that David will never have, a soul. I have spent my entire lifetime contemplating the questions, where do we come from? What is our purpose? What happens when we die? And I have finally found two people who have convinced me they're on the verge of answering them. Doctors Holloway and Shaw, if you would please stand. As far as you're concerned, they're both in charge. The Titan Prometheus wanted to give mankind equal footing with the gods. For that, he was cast from Olympus. Well, my friends, the time has finally come for his return. Doctors, please. Floor is yours. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 306, Prometheus. Which has, as Ridley Scott puts it, strands of alien DNA. Yeah. Well, I think it was marketed as a prequel, <laughs> so it's a weird thing to say. Yeah, although like the stories leading up to it were always sort of conflicted as to whether it was truly a prequel or something that was going to dive into the world a little bit but not really lead into Alien. There was a lot of talk about it being a, working as a standalone feature too. Well, sometimes when we do these episodes, you try to shape what the story of the episode is going to be. Like what story are we telling mm -hmm. through the podcast? And this is one of those times where I do think the story of Prometheus, which for various reasons became this polarizing thing a lot of people hate it or at least don't like it but it was also very successful but it also it got good reviews yeah. but the reviews were also sort of like well there's a lot of weird problems with it whatever i think the story with this movie is at no point did it seem like they knew exactly what right. they wanted to do with this movie they kind of kept changing their minds as to how connected it was going to be to alien uh-huh and this was of a time when Damon Lindelof's name being involved was interesting. I wouldn't say, like, exciting, but he was kind of an interesting name at the time. 
coming he's, off of Lost. He's definitely a guy that gets a lot of a reaction from people now. Right. Although I guess that Watchmen show was well received. They didn't renew it, but it got great reviews oh, and wow. people seemed to like it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that fixed everything, but <laughs> I don't know. He doesn't really seem to have that much of a track record with feature films, though, that are great. No. But his big thing, and I think it's apparent whether you watched Lost or checked out Prometheus, it seems like he has a lot of ideas, but they don't always come to fruition. They don't go to a completion. Well, the mystery is better. (laughs) That's definitely a motto of his. So before we discuss Prometheus... Which should be interesting, because we both like it, obviously, which is why we're doing it. If you go through... But there's um, a lot of complaints about it, and we are going to address some of that stuff, so it'll be an interesting episode. But from a bigger scale, like big production movie, in the timeline of Ridley Scott's career, I think it was kind of like a comeback to show that he could make cool, unique movies still. Well, what was he doing in the run-up to Prometheus? Mm, A good year. What, American what Gangster, is. it had Russell Crowe in it. A Good Year? Yeah. Wow, I don't even know that one. Forgettable, at best. I did see American Gangster. Yeah, which was okay, but also sort of, you were like, yeah, all right. There was something else right after American Gangster. Kingdom of Heaven? That was in the run. Before we get into Prometheus, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review. If you'd like a free sticker or would like to make a listener request, which is going to cost you some money, or would like to donate money out of the kindness of your heart, then you can reach out on Twitter. We have a tip jar and a whole deal going on, so whatever you want to do. Really lighting things up. Yeah, setting the world on fire. Really? And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. So this was the run. Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies. Okay, yeah. Robin Hood. Oof, Prometheus. I saw that in the theater. Robin okay. Sucked. So a lot of bigger movies in there, but I think this was really a swerve back to cool, unique we hadn't done science fiction in a while. Definitely. Maybe it had run its course with Russell Crowe. I think so. A little too much. Yeah. Frankly. Prometheus was released in 2012, directed by Ridley Scott, written by John Spates and Damon Lindelof, based on elements created by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusit. Yeah, normally when you have this many names involved in a writing credit... Well, they have to credit those right. original guys for the alien stuff that is still true. Yep. tied in with this. If you'd like to watch Prometheus, you can stream it for free right now on Hulu. That's where I watched it. And before we even get into all of the various issues with the film or, or whatever, the online complaining about it and different stuff, I would say that going into it, It is probably best enjoyed by turning your brain off a little bit and just sort of going with what's happening and not thinking too much about the logic of some of the things that happened. Because, yes, I will concede, even as a fan of the film, that sometimes the characters do things that sort of defy explanation. But I think it comes down to 
our thesis, which is they never really fully knew what they were doing with this movie, and it still somehow turned out pretty cool. But there was a lot of back and forth on what they were connecting to Alien, what they weren't connecting, changing things. There was a much bigger, broader, grander idea going on that seemed weird to crowbar into the Alien mythology, which is sort of what they dabble in in this movie. Right. And then stuff gets deleted, so some of the deleted scenes explain character motivations better. Whatever. It's a complicated mess. Mm -hmm. All I know is that seeing it in 2012 yeah. was a fun experience. I would say awesome theatrical experience. The look of it, I set aside the story and whatever you think of the characters and some of the themes maybe even. I think the world was unlike movies I had seen up until that point. We're so used to living in this CGI green screen world for these big sci-fi movies now. And this looks so much better than so many of them. Yeah, over 10 years ago, we were still in that 3D craze. And so, yeah, the 3D IMAX experience was really cool. It looked awesome. And they used the right amount of practical effects, too. Prometheus had a budget of somewhere between $120 and $130 million. It made $403.4 million at the box office. Love to know who's unclear about that $10 million gap. Well, once you get up that high, it's yeah. probably who knows minimum one thirty, yeah. and it's really more. Right. Prometheus was an Oscar nominee in the category of best achievement in visual effects. Now, I do think we're gonna get more into specifics of Alien Covenant at the end of the program, mm -hmm. but I did want to do a brief ranking of the Alien franchise right up front. Oh wow! For fun. Okay. But I am excluding Alien versus Predator, which I do not consider to be canon in this particular group of films. Yeah. I know that people probably disagree with that, but whatever. Considering all of this alien shit takes place in the future, and then I think, what, in the sequel, aren't they on Earth? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going there. I, yeah. I never really watched those movies. I, I don't care about them. I don't count them. I thought they were on Earth for both Alien versus Predator movies. I don't know. I thought the first one had a plot similar to Prometheus. I thought they like went to a planet, and I don't know. I, I really don't know. Okay. Or care. Yeah. I we're did only see gonna, it in the theater, but... We're going <laughs> to rank remember. the original four plus Prometheus and Covenant. So for me, it's pretty straightforward. You might have the same ranking or similar. Number one, Alien. Number mm -hmm. two, Aliens. Number three, Prometheus. Yep, okay. Number four, Alien 3... Number five, Covenant, and number six, Resurrection, would be my ranking. Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about Resurrection and Covenant, but that's probably fair. Covenant stinks, and we will talk about that more later, but the CGI in Resurrection is so bad yeah. that I can't get past it. I know that I shouldn't hold it that much against it, but it's embarrassing. The story sucks, too. Right. But, and there's like weird comedic beats in it yeah. with... What's his Ron face? Perlman. Dan Hedaya from... Oh, yeah. yeah, Perlman and yeah. Cher's dad from Clueless, where they're like doing comedic <laughs> right. bits and yeah. stuff. It's really weird. It's a strange movie. So in the early 2000s, Ridley Scott and James Cameron developed ideas for a prequel to Scott's 1979 classic, Alien. However, for whatever reason, the studios decided that Alien vs. Predator was going to take precedence... 
probably because it was further along and it didn't have Cameron and Scott attached, which means they could cheap out on the budget. Sure. I'm assuming yeah. it costs so much less, and they were like, this is so much further along, we're doing this. But it caused Cameron to bounce and exit Alien altogether forever. Right. In 2009, after those other Alien vs. Predator films came and went, Scott again starts showing interest and starts developing what would become Prometheus... It's another one of those things of how much my sense of time has just become so warped because the time between Alien versus Predator Requiem or whatever the sequel is and then Prometheus is really not that long. But it, during that time of my life, it felt like many years had passed. Sure, yeah. I get what you mean. You know what I mean? It's like the time between Tokyo Drift and yeah. the fourth Fast Exactly. <laughs> In retrospect, it wasn't that long. Right. The film was originally envisioned to be a straight-up prequel to Alien via a script by John Spates, who was in high demand at the time due to his previous script being on the unofficial Hollywood blacklist of best unproduced screenplays. Spates had actually been discussing other projects with Scott Free, Ridley Scott's production company, when they asked him to write an Alien prequel instead he immediately felt that it had to be about the so-called quote-unquote space jockey, the giant dead creature in the chair found an alien and how its race was involved in the history and evolution of both humans and xenomorphs. After Spates' first draft, which was originally called Alien Engineers, the studio insisted on a more experienced writer to try to rein in many of the parts that made it mm. an identifiable alien film. I think I remember seeing an interview with Damon Lindelof when they talked to him or approached him about it, and he read that original script, and he really liked it. He was like, why aren't you just making this? Yeah, he was unsure even of what they liked about it. Yeah. They just were like, do a pass on this, so right. he didn't even know what to keep or not keep at first. Originally, Spates had it taking place on LV-426, which is the yeah. rock from the original film, and it was going to be the whole thing with the derelict ship and the whole thing. And they wanted him to focus more on the engineers part of it. So that's when they bring in Lindelof for advice on the script and to make it a more original film. This coupled with Spates supposedly constraining Scott's vision led to Lindelof being hired to rewrite the screenplay. It took another four drafts and more than a year of pre-production time to get the script to a point where everyone was happy with it. And even then, the cast and crew, as evidenced by the remarks in the supplemental features on the Blu-ray, all seemed convinced that they were shooting a prequel that led into the original film. So again, this will be repeated. They weren't really yeah. sure what exactly they were doing. Because I think Ridley Scott, this is my guess. I have no knowledge, obviously. Right. But my guess would be he started with this idea of doing an alien prequel, but then started getting more fascinated with the origins of mankind and how mm -hmm. that would tie into it and realized that that didn't really have that much to do with aliens. So then didn't want it to be a repeat of right. aliens three and four uh -huh. and just like, let's have the xenomorphs in and the chest burst and the face hugger and everything that you've already seen a million times. Because I think there was a feeling that especially after alien versus predator one and two, that this stuff was done to death. Yeah. So let's not just do the same shit. But, but it's still... I think to get a hundred and twenty to hundred and thirty million dollar <laughs> budget, you have to say it's somehow connected to yeah. Alien. It still is close enough too that 
if you don't spend time thinking about the details, it does sort of feel like an Alien prequel. It is. Right. In the the sense sense that it takes place in the same world and it just happens before and it's connected to it. I mean more in the sense of with the engineer. For a second, you're like, is this the ship? Is this the engineer? But obviously, if you pay attention and watch the details, that's not what happens. But they give you like glances at it. There's like shadows of it. Yeah, and there's certain things in the film that also mirror stuff from Alien intentionally. Uh-huh. But it was a delicate balance between the two. And I think even when they finished filming and finished writing, they were like, well, we have to add a little bit more connective tissue. And then you get that ending with the being that they call the Deacon version of the alien bursting out of the engineer at the end. And I think that was something where they were like, well, we have to connect it a little bit more into alien. And then ultimately, for whatever reason, they throw their hands up in the air and just do a full blown alien type movie with the sequel Uh to Prometheus. Originally the title was going to be paradise, which was also originally going to be the title of alien covenant. They really wanted to get paradise in there, but they never were quite able to do it. According to Scott, although the film shares strands of Alien's DNA, as Matt said, and take place in the same universe, Prometheus explores its own mythology and ideas. It evolves into bigger, broader ideas and themes, the origins of humanity, the meaning of life, something about the nature of mankind, the nature of God as a creator. All these different things are explored in religion and faith. And by the time you really assess everything that they've brought up in Prometheus. You're kind of like, what the fuck? Does this have <laughs> it's to do with alien? Yeah. <laughs> and you can see why having multiple writers take a crack at whatever Scott had in his head at the time led to some of these issues that people have with the plot holes and some of the motivations that seem weird and the choices characters definitely. make. There are issues. I, I definitely would not dispute that. Right. There's parts that feels like it's a mess. But it's never so much that it takes me out of it. For some people, that does seem to be a criticism. Yeah, we'll get more into that in a second, because I do think that we've evolved in how we watch movies now, and I do think that there's a generation of people that expect completely different things than what we used to expect with films. Uh And it has sort of become a problem, and it's definitely thanks to YouTube popular YouTube series and videos and things that break down every single nitpicky thing. And sometimes they really blow stuff out of proportion. Sometimes there are legitimate complaints about movies, obviously, plenty of times, but sometimes they really do focus on things that don't matter that much, especially when you're talking about fucking science fiction in a future world that doesn't exist. But whatever, we'll get there in a second. There's also a big Blade Runner influence in Prometheus, and also even more so in a weird way in Alien Covenant. Uh Like Alien Covenant has your traditional-looking xenomorphs at a certain point amongst other weird aliens that are in it, and it's called Alien Covenant, and yet it also steps on a lot of the Blade Runner stuff too because they really get into this whole thing where – there's androids in Alien and Replicants and Blade Runner and the whole thing with David becoming the main character mm-hmm. by the second film. And one of the most compelling characters of the first film. Right. It really becomes this whole thing where what's the the nature of being a human? What does it mean to be a human being? And that's something we've talked about a lot when we did Blade Runner 2049 and the whole yeah. thing. And It always becomes part of it. They start off as these 
completely logic based with the inability to feel. And then it's always like it slowly morphs into, wait, they do have feelings and motivations. Yeah, we'll talk about it more later as we get into the plot itself and the movie itself. But there were versions of Prometheus where the company was going to be called Waylon Tyrell, implying a merger between the company from Blade Runner, who makes the replicants, and the Waylon Company, which is the company in this, which has yet to become Waylon Yutani which is what it is in the Alien franchise. But then they didn't do it. However, in some of the supplemental material, which is considered canon, it is mentioned, it is a thing. Ridley Scott has confirmed that they take place in the same universe, although it doesn't really seem to have any impact on uh-huh. this movie. I do at least think that would have been fun, Wayland Tyrell. Sometimes those things I think are stupid, but in this instance I would have enjoyed if, it. Yeah, if they just would have named, if it yeah. just would have been a name. Right, and that's really it, yeah. Reference anything else. Because this would all take place even after the sequel of Blade Runner 2049 is still like a good 40-something years before the events of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Scott's story concept was partially inspired by Chariots of the Gods, Eric von Daniken's work about the theory of ancient astronauts, which hypothesizes that life on Earth was created by aliens. Scott said NASA and the Vatican agree that it is almost mathematically impossible that we can be where we are today without there being a little help along the way. That's what we're looking at in the film, at some of Von Daniken's ideas of how did we humans come about. Spates originated the idea that David the android is like humans but does not want to be anything like them, eschewing a common theme in robotic storytelling mm-hmm. such as Blade Runner. Which is something that I don't think I really picked up on the first time I watched Prometheus is how much David despises humans. Right. Not that he just does evil shit. Because Uh at first you think, well, maybe he's doing that because that's what he's been programmed to do. Or like a curiosity. Right. A cold scientific curiosity. But there's a couple lines where you pick up on it where he just Mm -hmm. looks down on humans. He thinks that he is above humans. Spates also developed the theme that while the human crew is searching for their creators, David is already among its creators. Scott liked these ideas and further explored them in Lindelof's rewrite. For Shaw, Lindelof felt it was important that she was distinct from Aliens Ripley to avoid inevitable comparisons between the two characters. In Spate's draft, Shaw was directly responsible for the events of the plot because she wants to seek out potentially dangerous knowledge as with David, Lindelof expanded this facet of the character during his rewrites. I do think that Shaw does become a fascinating character. Absolutely. Because of very simple storytelling technique. They establish pretty quickly and easily that she is a woman of faith confronted in this idea of an inevitable collision of science and expanding knowledge and what's in front of her face versus faith, which is basically just believing something. Yeah, and dealing with her own existential crisis. They develop her backstory pretty quickly, and I do think that it's a huge influence on the events that happen in the film and explain some of her actions in the film. Yet, for whatever reason, they deleted some of the scenes, which harps on it a little more when she's confronted by Holloway a little bit more about her reckless behavior and why she does what she does because she's so desperate to find answers. But 
in the film, they make it seem like her answers are just scientific. Mm -hmm. Why did you create us? Why are you here? Why did you abandon us? And then later, once we learn more, why are you trying to kill us? Right. But in reality, her questions are much more personal, secretly, which is she wants to use the engineers as a substitute for God. Yeah. And ask them why her parents died when she was so young and why was she essentially traded yeah. for her mother because it's cut out of the movie, but her mother died during childbirth and all this different stuff. This and would all blow up in her face when she realized that they don't speak English. <laughs> she used to rely on David yeah. to translate and he's not the most reliable guy. <laughs> One of the big narratives that developed because of internet movie critiquing and internet culture is this whole thing with problems with Prometheus. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Whether it's more of a social thing or a culture thing like American Beauty. It's not like American Beauty has plot holes. It just has things people don't like about it. So we spent like a fucking hour defending yeah. it before we even talked about the movie. Which we've been known to do from time to time. Just go on these shows and defend movies. And then very early on in our show's run at a time where we didn't go as in-depth, we talked about It Follows. It Follows is another oh, one right. of those movies where people cannot turn their brain off and just enjoy what they're seeing yeah, rather yeah. than question every little detail about it. I know. It's really a, a joyless existence for these moviegoers. Well, that's the whole thing. And I think that eventually you do have to start to realize that if you are pursuing certain things out of storytelling, out of films, that you might not have the best brain mm. for movies, enjoying movies. Now, that's not an insult. I don't mean it to be that you're too smart or too dumb. No. But I think that you start looking for different things, and then you can't enjoy the process of losing yourself in the story anymore. Well, not that movies can't be important and thought-provoking. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, people, we're talking entertainment. So if it's not for you, pursue something else for entertainment. Go for a hike. Well, no. I just think that <laughs> they start focusing on different things. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, because of cinema sins and different YouTube videos, and there's a million copycats of, here's everything wrong with Prometheus, or here's everything <laughs> wrong with It Follows, or whatever. And their points, some of the time, make sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that they're wrong, per se. It's more, I think that we've trained a generation of eyes who've grown up on this stuff to search for different things to care about and latch onto in a story. I've gone the opposite direction. This is why I find myself really enjoying like 70s movies. All of the throwaway scenes that you don't need. I want that now. Well, no, that's not what I mean. I just mean like they are looking at every single thing that happens in Prometheus and saying, would a character do this? Does it make sense that they do that? Was this explained here? Did this get explained later? What Does this make sense? Does this connect to that? Yeah, and for me, I enjoy the not everything having to connect. Right. I think that when you're talking about science fiction, fantasy, horror, those kind of things, and you're talking about a, a fantastical world, I think you should be allowed a little bit more leeway. Obviously, with any movie, in any genre, there is a breaking point. Mm -hmm. You don't always know where that is. Yeah. In terms of logic, in terms of storytelling, it's more of a feeling out process. I think that most of the stuff that I've read and seen with Prometheus is what I would consider to be a little nitpicky. It's not that it's wrong. Sometimes it's worse than other times. There are some hilarious moments in this movie that if you actually think about it, yeah. 
it does kind of make you laugh where you're like, okay, she bashes a couple people on the head to run to that med pod. And then everyone just is hanging out Not angry five seconds yeah. later. Like, okay, that didn't happen. <laughs> it almost seems like a weird oh, yeah. dream when that happens. No, I'm sure I agree with many of them. It just doesn't have that extreme of an impact on me. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people want to feel smart and want to feel like they've outsmarted the movie by coming up with this stuff and that they demand that all of these things make sense and are answered in a certain way. And I just don't think that at that point you're enjoying a storytelling process. You're not losing yourself in the movie. And so it's sort of pointless to consume the movie that way, or at least in my opinion. But at the same time, as I was telling you before we started recording, what's wrong with thinking that these people in this movie are dumb and they make bad decisions? Because... Why do we necessarily believe in the future, just because all technology is better, that people are going to be very smart, even if they're doctors and scientists? I actually think everyone's going to be dumber. And I think that's been proven over time, that it seems like we are getting dumber. It does feel that way. And there is a little bit of idiocracy at play. Mm -hmm. And I do think that it's possible that people assume, because we see advanced technology that they have titles in the film that these all must be the most highly trained the smartest the best whatever but who's to say that the smartest and the best whatever are like below average from a hundred years earlier well and are the smartest and the best willing to go on this voyage no and also i think that something that i was thinking about a lot while watching prometheus for this podcast is the part in jurassic park where Mm -hmm. Ian Malcolm is talking about you didn't do the work for yourself. You stood on the shoulders of the people who came before you. Right. And the whole thing of just taking it to one step further, one step further, one step Mm -hmm. further. And I think that applies to the science in this film and a lot of what happens in this film. And I think that there's a line in there where you can kind of take it as a joke, but it also makes me think that they didn't have to do the work and so they don't appreciate it. And And I do think a big part of this movie is hubris and how that leads to a downfall but there's that part where holloway makes the joke about one small step for mankind yes and shaw just sort of goes be serious or whatever like it's like a joke they didn't really have to do the work to get here and so they don't really appreciate how big of a step this is and they just sort of are so blinded by their own ambition that, yeah, is it a little extreme, some of the bad decisions they make in the movie? Yeah, but I think that's sort of the justification is they're so blinded by their own obsession that they're not taking the time to do things the right way. And just because people are protagonists in a film doesn't necessarily make them infallible, which is something we've talked about plenty of times. And so just because we like Shaw sure, and she is the main character doesn't mean that she's impervious to making mistakes. Yeah. And doing dumb shit, which she does several times. No, yeah, I mean, she definitely seems blinded by her own journey of self-discovery or whatever's going on with her. I have heard that people who have read Spate's original script say that the problems that they bitch about aren't really there, and they mostly blame Lindelof and Ridley Scott. But like I said, I think that Spates was coming in with something that really wasn't matching what Scott had in his head anymore, and which is why it evolved into something else, and... That's probably the root of the problem, Sure, is that they weren't really sure what they wanted, and so you're mashing a couple of ideas together. And it probably shouldn't be as entertaining and cool-looking and as interesting as it ends up becoming, True. but I still think it works. And no, I know. Frankly, and I mean... I'm tired of defending it. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I, at the time, in 2012, I don't even think I realized that there was that much of a vocal thing. Well, a ton it, of it's definitely grown over it. time. Yeah. It seemed like one of those movies that was one of the... It's hard to call it a hidden gem because of how much money it made, but it was like sort of one of the surprise favorites of the year. It wasn't something that was going to win Best Picture, but one of the ones that when you look at the year, it was like, oh yeah, Prometheus is on my list. Yeah, most people I know like it. It just seems like, for whatever reason, it's become one of those internet movies that people pile on. Mm -hmm. But I think it's entertaining, and it's got a couple of key moments in it that make it undeniable for me. Yeah. Sorry, if you have a woman going into a self-surgery pod to cut an alien out of her stomach. I know, I was going to wait till we got to that scene, but that was one of the most memorable, unexpected moments yeah, in the and there's, a, and there's a couple seen. other really cool moments, too. And once you have that kind of shit, you're like, well, the rest of it just needs to be connected together somehow. And I'll, no, I can I get through and it. I, from a visual effects standpoint, it still stands apart from many of the big budget movies that I've seen in this recent run that we're in over the past decade or so. Ridley Scott ended up naming the film Prometheus, seeing the name aptly fit the film's themes. It's the story of creation, the gods, and the man who stood against them. In Greek mythology, the titan Prometheus was an immortal servant of the gods who stole and gave to mankind the gift of fire, an immeasurable benefit that changed the human race forever, for better and worse, and it made mankind seem dangerous to the gods as if they were going to be on the same level, which is sort of the hubris at play in this film and then what ultimately ends up happening with Wayland and the engineers and the whole thing. Yep. It, it all kind of fits. There was an innovative and viral campaign across the internet used to promote the film. They sort of did the same thing with Covenant. They filmed these little shorts and different things. There's like a fake TED Talk given by Peter Wayland, played by a younger version of Guy Pierce, uh-huh. called the Peter Wayland Files TED Conference 2023 which was actually released in 2012, so this would be the year of that right. talk. And then later, there were two different versions of a commercial promoting the David 8 android, played by Michael Fassbender. Those were released, as well as a video message from Earth to the engineers, which is mentioned in the beginning of the film as having been sent, but no response received. These viral videos were designed by Sir Ridley Scott and Damon Lindelof themselves, and were directed by Scott's son, Luke Scott, I sort of have mixed feelings about that kind of stuff. Hmm. It's always fun and interesting, especially if you get to see it and check it out. But at the same time, you don't want to go too far with all of this added material. With that's... the supplemental material yeah. being canon and being parts of the story, which I think they sort of fell into more trouble with Alien Covenant and including Shaw's character and stuff in the, the little promotional videos and whatnot. Yeah. Because then it's explaining things that aren't necessarily explained in the actual films, and you don't want to go down that Southland Tales road, where it's like (laughs) you you have to read three books, and it's a whole thing. The first thing you do notice is the film's score, which I saw some people online complaining about, but I actually love the score to this, because it's so weird. I just don't agree. I I think the score is memorable and cool. Composer Mark Streitenfeld had the orchestra play his compositions backwards and then digitally reverse the compositions for the final film, making them sound unusual and unsettling. Yeah, it's like discordant. Yeah, I like that 
music at the beginning. I think it is memorable every time I put it on, which I've watched Prometheus a fair amount of times over the years. Every time I put it on, I'm instantly reminded of the music when it starts. I think it is pretty distinctive. Gorgeous establishing shots. Absolutely. Which are taken on Earth, but they make Earth feel alien. Mm -hmm. And desolate. The movie does rely heavily on Iceland for a lot of the stuff at the beginning, and then even the surface of the moon that they are on later is actually in Iceland, which worked out, I guess, for Numi Rapace. I think she was able to visit some family while doing this. Good for her. Yeah, she had to try to perfect an English accent, yeah, which is not her actual accent. Now, at this point, I had known that she had done the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies. This is like her first big U.S. movie, though, right? I'm not sure. I can't mm. remember. As a large spacecraft departs a planet, presumably Earth, but they never actually confirm that, a humanoid alien drinks an unknown liquid, causing its body to break down and dissolve, falling into a nearby waterfall. The remains sink to the bottom of the water where the alien's DNA falls apart and then starts to recombine. This section of the film became known as the beginning of time. Mm. So what are your thoughts about this sequence? Because due to the fact that it happens so long ago right and there's no character connection to it you never get a full explanation yeah i find it confusing it seems like there would be more damage from this damage from what the fact that this whatever you call it just goes into the water and the ecosystem well there's no humans yet this is the beginning of humans yeah so i guess yeah so i guess it's dormant but still living no, no, it's that is the beginning of humans when the DNA is starting to recombine, okay. I think, is what we're, tr- we're supposed to take. I see. All right. So my thought, I guess, would be that this is deliberate. Whatever he's drinking, which is not the same thing that's being made okay. as a weapon later. I see. Is seemingly intentionally doing this to break down his own DNA and create something new, maybe? I guess so. It seems intentional and yeah, deliberate. Yeah. No one's yes, forcing that, him there absolutely. to do this. I, I don't think that's in question. It's deliberate. But then you get into the whole question of, well, who made the cave paintings? Do they come back and tell humans about themselves, and that's where the cave paintings come from? Okay, so basically we jump forward in time, right? And it's perhaps the biggest jump in cinematic history. <laughs> yeah. Even bigger than 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is a few million years. This is potentially... 4 billion BC all the way up until 2089 AD is Mm -hmm. the jump in this movie. So if you're talking about the origins of life on this planet, 4 billion BC, where do the cave paintings come from? How does that factor in? How do they know that this is where humans come from? Was this one engineer acting alone? or was this? Well, someone drove the ship away. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of mysteries which i guess is sort of intentional because you were kind of in the same position as shaw where you know kind of a little bit more than her because you get to see this scene at the beginning of the movie but you don't really know what their motivations are or what Mm. even they're trying to do it seems like later they are aware that there's a species of beings because obviously they would have have come back and the the stars the whole thing with the map and the cave paintings and all that shit so obviously there was interaction at some point There is a deleted scene. I know I'm going to fucking annoy everyone with this shit, but Mm -hmm. there is a part where the engineer sees the video 
and it's like people playing instruments and all this stuff and the, the engineer actually does seem impressed that's kind of hard to say but, but the face they're making <laughs> yeah. seems like they're kind of like oh oh i didn't realize that you guys would be, ever get to be this advanced like, right as if human beings exceeded what they originally thought yeah when they made them or whatever I don't know. This scene is sort of a mystery. I could have yeah. Googled what does this opening mean, but I kind of wanted to try to talk it out for ourselves, but I guess I you know. didn't really get well, that it was I, the start of humans. You were worried that it was going to be a contamination situation. It seemed destructive, okay? I guess creation has to come from self-destruction. Well, no, that is true, but yeah. then right as the letters are forming on the screen the same way as an alien, yeah. you know? You can see that those DNA things are starting to reconnect and right. build again. Yeah. So something's like being created out of what he just did. Definitely. But I don't know. I I took right. that to be your, that is the beginning of time when humans are being created. Somehow. Your explanation makes sense. But how do you procreate from that? Unless I, more I than one humans coming out of that goo. Right. I guess the engineers are bigger than humans, so. If you deconstruct their DNA, you might get more than one. Or out of is that. it just life starting to form in some sense, and then the evolution over time? Yeah, I guess this movie does allow for evolution, so we don't know what came out of that originally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In Scotland, on the Isle of Skye, in 2089, archaeologists Elizabeth Shaw, played by Numi Rapace, and Charlie Holloway, played by Logan Marshall Green discover a star map among cave drawings that matches others from several unconnected ancient cultures. They interpret this as an invitation from humanity's forerunners, the quote-unquote engineers, as they call them, to come and find them. Is it an invitation or just a reminder how to get there? Huge mistake, it turns (laughs) out. It's more of a warning. Do not come here. Right. Originally, Charlie's Theron was set to play Shaw, but briefly left the project due to scheduling conflicts. When her availability changed and she was free to return, Rapace had already been cast due to Scott loving her performance in the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Theron then took on the role of Meredith Vickers instead. I think it's pretty cool to have two female co-leads in this. Carrie Mulligan, Olivia Wilde, Anne Hathaway, Abby Cornish, and Natalie Portman were also in the mix for Shaw. Logan Marshall Green, sort of a Tom Hardy adjacent. I think his character's kind of annoying. Not that he's bad as an actor, but that character, Holloway, is sort of a douchebag. It goes poorly for him relatively quickly. James Franco was in the mix for that part. He ends up having a small part to play in covenant he's not even really in covenant except for like weird footage that shows yeah. him when he's still alive right sort of hard to explain but i don't know he ends up sort of in the alien universe i guess peter whalen the elderly ceo of whalen corporation funds an expedition aboard the scientific vessel prometheus to follow the map to the distant moon lv223 and then we cut into space it's all very rapid Crew, 17, date, December 21st, 2093. So four years later. For those of you keeping track at home, Alien takes place in 2122, meaning the bulk of Prometheus happens 29 years before Alien. Mm. It seems like Prometheus is a little bit cleaner ship than what they're on in Alien. Well, according to Ridley Scott, he was adamant to show the Prometheus and its science crew with appropriately advanced 21st century 
technology, such as slimmed-down spacesuits, holographic displays, and video screens inside full spherical helmets. These helmets were inspired by a Steve Jobs story where he built an office entirely out of industrial-strength glass. If I'm in 2083 and I'm going into space, I want something where I have 360 vision. By then, glass will be light and you won't be able to break it with a bullet. In the -the behind-the-scenes documentaries, Scott did acknowledge that this created an obvious discrepancy with the lower state of technology Mm -hmm. seen in Alien, which he explained with the fact that the Nostromo crew were blue-collar employees who had to work with decades-old ships, obsolete machines, and hand-me-down bulky spacesuits, which kind of makes sense. Yeah. Look, the technology in Alien is so ridiculous that we've passed it now (laughs) with some of the screens and stuff, but you kind of get what he's going for. Well, we don't know what happened in the time in between. The economy took a dive. Wayland Industries goes through some hard times, gets bought. Sure. Yeah. Alien fits in with that used future, which we've talked about, which is also apparent in stuff like Star Wars Mm -hmm. or whatever, where things are futuristic, but they also look dirty and used and not as pristine as Prometheus. But there is a reason why Prometheus would be so advanced, so pristine, which yeah. we don't, as the audience don't know yet, right. but there is a, a bit of a secret going on. The crew of Prometheus travels in stasis while the android David, played by Michael Fassbender, monitors their voyage and creeps around spying on their dreams. Yeah, I immediately thought this stuff was cool. This pulled me into the universe. You were like, if only I could watch the dreams of a pretty girl. If only I could do like sky hooks like this. While riding a bike. (laughs) (laughs) It always bothered me a little bit that it's not nothing but net. Right. That it does sort of hit the rim. I know, it should be a perfect swish. Yeah. It's a little bit of a callback to Alien Resurrection, because there's that basketball stuff in that movie, which is very bizarre. (laughs) For those of you who haven't seen it, the few things that we've mentioned about yeah. it. It is a weird movie. The androids enjoy basketball. Pretty sure Joss Whedon, of all people, wrote that. Oh, yeah, that's something tr- to that do is with true. It. Yeah. Oof. To prepare for his role as the android David, Fassbender watched Blade Runner, the man who fell to Earth for Bowie's mm-hmm. androgynous performance, The Servant, and Lawrence of Arabia. Which is referenced. Which is referenced in this movie. Fassbender also studied Olympic diver Greg Luganus, drawing inspiration for David's walk from Luganus's physicality. Hmm, that's specific. Fassbender is super skinny in it. The androids' names in the Alien films follow an alphabetical pattern, at least up through this film. In Alien, it's Ash. In Aliens and Alien 3, it's Bishop. In Alien Resurrection, it's Call. And in this film, it's David. Wow. So you have A, B, C, and D. Never knew that. This is where we get a little bit of the backstory with Shaw. Through her dreams, where she's little, Patrick Wilson plays her dad. Oh, yeah. Shaw's belief in God, the strong faith, the allusion to her mother dying when she's very young. That was kind of a surprise to me to see Patrick Wilson pop up. I didn't remember that. I know, he's only in the one scene. Not that Wilson was that well-known or anything in 2012, but I think that also speaks to it being Ridley Scott. Oh, it is? When you're a legend... And you get asked to be in one scene. Yeah. People are like, okay. It is a pretty crazy cast, actually. Like, even down to some of the side characters, recognizable people. It's Meredith Vickers who awakens first when they arrive close to their destination. Vickers, of course, played by Charlize Theron. 
a couple of other people in the mix. Michelle Yao, who's sort of going through a, a big revival here mm-hmm. with Everything Everywhere at Once. And Angelina Jolie, also considered. I was telling this to you. This would be of particular interest to our pervy listeners. They did shoot her push-up sequence here with her in the nude. And I think another part with her nude. And then they just decided to not use that material. Not know. that they CGI'd it. I think they shot it two different ways right. where she's got those weird undergarment things on. They're all wearing it. It just seems like gauze, like wrapped up. Yeah, I think they did something similar in Alien, right? Yeah. And then there was always that big thing about, like, well, she should be nude at the end of the Alien. And even Sigourney Weaver was saying that. Mm-hmm. And then it just never was a thing. And then they sort of dabbled in that here. And then they decided not to go that route. I don't know. I don't know. I think Charlie Theron is an absolute badass, though, and love her in parts like this. All right. Yeah. There you go. She did a lot of standing in corners, moving in lurking movements. In order to accentuate Vickers's distant, enigmatic nature, is Vickers an android too? Maybe she's very cold. She's definitely one that does not realize that she is, if she is, meaning she's mm-hmm. some sort of variation on David, where they even have to go through the whole ordeal of her sleeping in stasis right. to, to keep the ruse up. It's almost like Rachel in Blade Runner, which yeah, I guess yeah. ties in with that whole Tyrell connection. Maybe she's. Not an android, but a replicant. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it's possible. Definitely not confirmed no. in the movie either way. Not like, even really hinted at other than you could speculate on it. Well, no. They, <laughs> at one point, Yannick, the captain, says, are you a robot? Oh, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what? But never answers it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention one of the big things to come out of Prometheus, which is, of course, Numi's feet. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure where this would come up, but please. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things we've lost as a society ever since IMDb decided to get rid of those (laughs) message boards. Now, when you say Numi's feet, you, of course, mean the name of your fantasy baseball team. Well, I was building to that. (laughs) So... People used to watch these movies and then go on to the message boards on IMDb. And there would be some interesting discussions, interesting topics. If it was a movie that had different interpretations like Prometheus Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you could go on and see different stuff and people would have different things and theories and thoughts and whatever. And for whatever reason, they got rid of it. It doesn't exist anymore. But maybe one of the reasons is because you would get these threads started. (laughs) Like... The one that I saw for Prometheus, which title, Numi's Feet. <laughs> you click on it, it's just some guy salivating over the shots of her feet in the film. Wow. Bringing up certain scenes. I don't remember if there was any responses to it or not, but it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So much so that I did name several fantasy baseball teams Numi's Feet <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I don't even notice that her feet are shown on camera. I did this time because I was waiting for the yeah. right time to insert this into the notes. I mean, it makes but... sense because she's running around barefoot at some point, but like, it just doesn't... <laughs> yeah, I think she is barefoot a lot in the movie, it just doesn't... which is why that guy was losing it. Catch my eye. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I can't really imagine what it's like to be a foot guy because there's so much. Mm-hmm. It's not like a weird fetish that is only in very certain yeah. situations. Everyone has feet. It's not considered nudity, so there's probably plenty of bare feet or right. sandal action in tons of movies. Yeah. And yet, 
I know. You're losing it over this <laughs> shit. I mean, I guess that would be fun on one end, but also horrible and distracting on the other. <laughs> you just can't take it. So you go on IMDb message boards and start threads, Numi's feet. I think part of it is that Numi is such a fun name to put mm-hmm. with feet. It's just a good word combination, yeah. Numi's feet. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. All right. Never had to follow a ghost before. Okay. Let me show you why you guys are here. These are images of archaeological digs from all over the earth. That's Egyptian, Mayan, Sumerian, Babylonian. That's Hawaiian there at the end, and Mesopotamian. Now this one here is our most recent discovery. It's a 35,000-year-old cave painting from the Isle of Skye in Scotland. These are ancient civilizations that were separated by centuries. They shared no contact with one another, and yet. The same pictogram showing men worshiping giant beings pointing to the stars was discovered at every last one of them. And the only galactic system that matched was so far from Earth that there's no way that these these primitive ancient civilizations could have possibly known about it. But it just so happens that that system has a sun, a lot like ours. And based on our long-range scans, there seemed to be a planet. Just one planet with a moon capable of sustaining life. And we arrived there this morning. So you're saying we're here because of a map you two kids found in a cave, is that right? No. Yeah. Um. No, not a map, an invitation. From whom? We call them engineers. Engineers? Do you mind uh, telling us what they engineered? They engineered us. Bullshit. <laughs> okay, so uh, do you have anything to back that up? No, I, I mean, look, if you're willing to discount three centuries of Darwinism, that's... Woo! But how do you know? Hmm? I don't. But it's what I choose to believe. The presentation on the ship, once everyone awakens, begins with a hologram of Peter Whalen, played yeah. by Guy Pierce. And you're all like, wait, this is what we're doing here? Well, yeah. One of the complaints people did have about the movie is that why would this crew come on a mission where they don't know what they're doing? But... Again, that just sort of, to me, is like, well, this is a future world where we don't know anything about missions into space. And this could just be something that is common, where there's classified situations and the crew doesn't know anything about it because it's a secret. And it's they a don't... paycheck. Yeah, I think they probably get paid more. Some of the guys just seem like mercenaries. Exactly, yeah. But this presentation from Waylon encapsulates the larger issues at stake. He's talking about the origins of humanity and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And you seem to be straying further and further away from the idea of an alien prequel. But it also incorporates a little bit the enigmas of both David and Meredith. Right. You watch their reactions to different things that Waylon says. 
he refers to David as the son he never had. And then, of course, they do a lingering shot on Vickers, which makes things maybe a little too obvious as to where the setting. But, yeah, there's definitely a weird relationship between the two. As mentioned, there was going to be a a Waylon-Tyrell connection. The Blade Runner universe was connected. And there were earlier versions of the scripts where that was going to be more apparent. But it's basically excised completely from this. The crew definitely seems dubious of Shaw and Holloway's goals, ideals, plan, etc. Right. They don't really buy into this shit. They don't care. You guys found some scratchings in a cave. Now we're light years away from home or whatever. Yeah, fun. (laughs) Great. I guess it wouldn't matter that much to me whether or not Sean Holloway knew what they were talking about as long as the check clears. But it would be funny if they flew all the way out there and there was just like literally nothing at all. I know. (laughs) We found nothing. All right, back to stasis. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things, and it's in like Interstellar too. And I think that's the thing. Like these characters just have to be people probably mostly without families or whatever because... The years you're forfeiting. (laughs) Right, yeah. Well, I don't know how that works, though, with stasis. I don't know if that counts. (laughs) It's more like you're frozen in time, so I don't know if like you're aging the same way. Right, but if you have families back home and stuff... Oh, they're aging. Yeah, yeah. you're losing like years of their lives. That's like the whole deleted scene from Aliens with her daughter. Right. (laughs) Being dead. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But it's a world that we can't really begin to understand, because... Obviously, this We're not intergalactic in. travel is not real at this point. Vickers calls Sean Holloway into her little lifeboat palace, whatever her little room is. And mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool room. It unveils the other side of the film, that there's multiple agendas at play. There's a definite power struggle at play, although the players involved are not always clear to us, the audience. Right. But it seems like there may be other motivations for coming all the way out to this godforsaken rock. Yeah, that is true. Who's in charge at any given point is definitely up for debate. Yeah, because they have a captain of the ship who seems to be nowhere near in charge. (laughs) They have Vickers, who's more directly tied to the company that's funding this thing. But then the leader of that company, who everyone is pretending is dead, says that Sean Holloway are in charge. But really, he is in charge, I guess. I don't know. But then David does whatever he wants. Exactly. It's kind of hard to tell. Doctors, Miss Vickers would like to have a quick word before the adventure begins. I think there might be some confusion about our relationship. Let's say we do find these beings down there. You won't engage them. You won't talk to them. You will do nothing. That report back to me. Miss Vickers, is there an agenda that you're not telling us about? Nobody paid a trillion dollars to find this place. Had you raised the monies yourself, Mr. Holloway, we'd be pursuing your agenda. But you didn't. And that makes you an employee. Cheers. In addition to Shaw, Holloway, David, and Vickers, we have Idris Elba as Yannick, Mm -hmm. captain of the ship which I wrote parentheses misleading because he's not really in charge of anything. But he does act like he's making decisions. 
He's more in charge of when the ship's actually moving, right? Like, of the ship, but yeah. in terms of what they're doing on the mission, he has like almost no say. Correct. More representative of the blue collar nature of the Nostromo in Alien, I would say. Mm-hmm. Not just him, but the other co-pilots, Iman Elliot and Benedict Wong as Chance and Ravel. Those guys seem more of that blue collar. Right. Not really. They're just. Crew. Involved with this, Sean Harris as Fifield, a geologist on the edge. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's well in control of his own situation. Yeah, I think part of his backstory is that he's starting starting to go crazy from so many missions. Yeah, and the toll that takes. This guy, what's most noteworthy about him for me is that he's got a cool voice and a mohawk. Yeah, Rafe Spall as Milburn, a biologist. Kate Dickey as the ship's medic Ford, and then there's a few other guys that you never really know who they mm-hmm. are to round out to 17. Because yeah. that's once you count all those up, you're only up to like 10, and you're like, well, who the fuck else is there? Right. Anonymous people. The Prometheus lands on the barren mountainous surface near what seems to be a large artificial structure. As Holloway succinctly puts it, God doesn't create in straight lines, meaning it looks like man has made something here. Yeah. There's like these rock domes mm-hmm. with straight lines leading to them that seem sort of like roads or throughways. Holloway insists the team explore the structure right away. I get it, but it is just like, well, what rush are we in? <laughs> it's Christmas. I want to open my presents. Yeah. Holloway does have some terrible lines. I know. When he points out that David is wearing a spacesuit like everyone else, even though he doesn't require it because he's a robot, David says that he's designed in a way to make humans feel comfortable as if he's one of them. And Holloway says something like, oh, they're making you guys really close now. And David's response, I think, tells a lot about his true nature and menace when he says, not too close, I hope. (laughs) You think that that means something like... Too close would be uncomfortable, but yeah. I think it means I don't really want to be like a human because right. you guys are so vulnerable and weak, and I am superior. Yeah, yeah. This is where we get the one small step for mankind line that I referenced earlier, and she says, seriously. I do think that this is a moment you can explore. Could be a throwaway joke. I do think that when you process it through that lens of scientific discovery and standing on the shoulders of what's come before you and how these clowns think that they're onto something and they think they deserve something. They deserve answers from who they believe are our creators. Now, if you want to take a more religious angle, it's sort of whether you believe in a Christian God or a different kind of God or whatever, the idea that you deserve to ask God why we exist and all these different things, you can transfer that into this story with Mm -hmm. the engineers. This hubris that they have, that they act as if they deserve something back. I think that ties in with the scientific development thing with Jurassic Park. Like You don't do the actual work. You just sort of skip a bunch of steps and then think you're able to do this. Well, much like Jurassic Park, they're going to find out that they're in over their heads like five minutes into this damn thing. How weird would it be if they cruise up into this giant hollow dome made of stone and there's like already a McDonald's and a Starbucks in there and they're just (laughs) like, what the fuck? And then they go back to Earth and McDonald's and Starbucks were like, yeah, we already knew about this. We didn't want to tell you. <laughs> Waste of time. <laughs> God damn it. 
The team explores the structure and discovers all kinds of things. It all happens pretty rapidly. First and foremost, evidence of terraforming, which allows for them to remove their helmets, which is another problem people have because these scientists act so impetuous. They take these risks. They do things they shouldn't do or wouldn't do. I get it. Listen, it was a long ride. They're building moments for a movie, though, people. Sometimes you have to have characters do dumb shit so that stuff happens. That'd be great. Take their helmet off, just eyeballs sucked out of their heads immediately dead. (laughs) (laughs) But the evidence of terraforming leads you to believe that there were creatures here that needed to be able to breathe this air. Mm -hmm. So something was going on inside these structures. They also find the full-size security camera instant replay things that happen, which are hard to explain and never really make sense, but they push buttons and then they can see what happened in the rooms. I thought that those drone things that they had that lay out the whole map of the whole thing was pretty cool. Yeah, that's their own Mm -hmm. tools. But the instant replay thing leads them to the decapitated corpse of a large alien who Shaw and Holloway believe to be one of these engineers. But you're like, huh, does seem like something didn't go to plan here. Yeah, why would this guy run to this door, which they just watched, and then the door decapitates him and his body's just left here? Mm -hmm. What was going on? Seems like people were leaving in a hurry. But the discovery of this body freaks out Milburn and Fifield so much that they attempt to return to the ship without everyone else, and they end up getting lost inside the structure, which would probably happen to us if we were on this trip. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) For some reason, they brought two podcasters along. (laughs) Purposely abandoned them. Clearly not interested in the safety of the others, David opens the door at the site where they discovered the dead alien. Inside that room is a large monolithic statue of a humanoid head. Which I can remember when they showed that, you're kind of like, okay, so this is the Mm -hmm. connection here. Right. Now, what does this mean? Which we'll get into more in a minute, but I think one of the big surprising things of this movie was finding out that what appeared to be elephantine face... is like a mask. ...of the space jockey is actually just a helmet. Right. But yeah, so you see the humanoid head, and then they discover the head of the engineer on the ground, and, and that does resemble the space jockey from Alien. Yeah. And then... Around them seem to be these rows of stone cylinders, which they don't look anything like those pods that John Hurt discovers in Alien. But the way that they're all like rowed and everything, you kind of get that echo, that like Mm -hmm. vague reminiscent Reminiscent, feeling of something. And then they do pan down to their feet, and there's evidence of life. There's like those little worm things in the ground, Mm -hmm. which I think factor in later, but that's never clear 100 like sean harris's feet (laughs) no he's gone by this point he left them there's these murals on the wall too and then once they enter the room the murals start changing because they've changed the atmosphere in the room but if you look there's that design that looks like Mm -hmm. the xenomorph or a version of it maybe the queen right or something it's some giant with the long head thing and the whole deal so obviously something bad is happening here we don't really know what but it feels not great. Ominous. <laughs> Especially for us, because we've seen Alien. Yeah, yeah. These poor characters, they're in a world where that hasn't happened we've yet. We've seen this story before, and it does not end well. The expedition is cut short when a storm forces the crew to return to the ship. David secretly takes a cylinder with him, while the remaining ones 
begin leaking a dark liquid. Something I came across in my research, which I never really considered, is that the sudden emergence of the storm is a booby trap that they Mm. set off by going into this room. Okay. I don't know if there's like a ton of evidence for that, but people did seem to be saying that out there. I don't know. That could be. Not familiar with the weather patterns of this moon. Yeah, I don't know how that would work. Obviously, their technology is way beyond ours on this planet, so I don't know. Yeah. But it is sort of an unnatural storm. It happens very quickly, and it's more of like a combination of a weather event, but also a sandstorm or something. And it seems like these guys have the technology to be able to sense something coming on, and it comes out of nowhere for them. Yeah. Again, another keyword, agenda. Clearly, David is doing something that no one else is aware of. Mm-hmm. We don't know what exactly, but then later you couple that with these secretive conversations he's having with that helmet on. Yeah. Which I think pretty much are a dead giveaway as to what's going on in terms of who he's talking to. Right. But it's not really confirmed right away, so he's doing all of these secretive things. As I said, LV-223 does neighbor LV-426, or did I not say that yet? You said it, yeah. I think that's... Not necessarily revealed, because obviously the characters in this film don't know the original Mm -hmm. rock from Alien, but it is part of the same little... Moon system? System of moons, I guess. They just don't see it. I think the speculation was that it's on the other side of the planet at that moment or something. But when they arrive, you don't actually see it in the sky, but I, I don't know. Who knows? I do love when they're rushing back to the ship when the storm's approaching that it blows a bunch of shit around, and then all of a sudden, on top of the structure is that giant skull rock right. that they somehow haven't yeah. seen, and they never address it later. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, maybe you shouldn't go into this place that has the giant Goonies-esque skull. <laughs> Chester Copperpot. <laughs> the whole storm shit is awesome. Shaw drops the head, tries to go get it, which is a huge mistake, but then David rescues her, Yeah, which is pretty cool. The whole thing is pretty cool. In the ship's lab, Shaw and Ford fuck around with the engineer's head, discovering that the elephantine appearance that we've all come to remember from Alien is not an exoskeleton, but a helmet. And the head underneath is humanoid and reminiscent of the alien we saw at the beginning of the film. They, quote, try to trick the nervous system into thinking it's still alive, which I don't know Hmm. what that even means, but... They accidentally blow it up. <laughs> However, the engineer's DNA is found to match that it is of humans. That whole thing where the head comes awake. Yeah. It is messed up and then blows up. Yeah, this is a scene that people freak out about because Shaw is acting completely reckless and not scientific and mm-hmm. in almost borderline insane. Yeah, this discovery on its own seems like it would have made the mission worthwhile and then immediately eviscerated yeah because at this point this is the only body they found Mm -hmm. now later coming up fifield and milburn will come across all those other dead bodies but they don't know that there's going to be other bodies so you've taken the one discovery and blown it up by acting like an idiot there is a deleted scene where holloway confronts her about her obsession and this whole thing with the engineers as a substitute for god and her desperation to ask them these personal questions, but they cut that out. So sometimes it does seem like she's acting completely irrational without any explanation. Yeah. Which, for whatever reason, I just rolled with it because I'm like, 
you know, whatever. It's a cool scene when a head explodes. I know. I'm like, all right. That conversation, like she gets to talk to the engineers. I feel like it's like in Mallrats when Brody starts asking Stan Lee about the sexual organs of all these superheroes <laughs> where he's just like, I don't know. I never thought about that. I feel like that's what the engineers would say. It's well, like, yeah. I think they wouldn't even. Shit? Yeah, they yeah. wouldn't even entertain her right. questions. They think that she's like some inferior thing, but she doesn't really understand that. Right. It's personal obsession. In '79, Scott had to fight for the inclusion of the space jockey at all in the film, and then it ends up becoming the focal point of expanding the franchise yeah. all these years later. I did always think that that was cool about the original Alien is having that part unexplained. Right. It almost diminishes it a little bit. I don't really agree with that. Mm. For me, it does. I think that... I know there's a lot of complaints about the movie. I think that that actually is really a satisfying explanation because it doesn't fully tell you everything that Uh, happened. It's just this guy's fucking around... With this shit, it gets inside of you, and then it bursts <laughs> yeah, out of you. Right. Sometimes it bursts out of their heads. There's all kinds of different shit. Yeah, I, and that's another thing people bitch about, is this fucking black liquid can seemingly do everything. But I do think that sort of becomes the story with Alien Covenant and everything. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. experimenting with all these different things. During production, Ridley Scott kept the use of CGI as low as possible. Scott recalled advice visual effects supervisor Douglas Trumbull gave him on the set of Blade Runner. If you can do it live, do it live. Great. Great fucking advice. Fuck it. I'll write it and we'll do it live. (laughs) (laughs) And also claimed that practical visual effects were more cost effective than digital visual effects. Monster effects, like the Deacon and Hammerpeed, both of which we have yet to see, were done practically as much as possible with CGI only for complicated shots that couldn't be done for real. This would continue into the giant facehugger thing that they call the trilobite, everything that they possibly could, which I do think adds a distinct visual style to this film and a texture to this film that makes it stand out from a lot of these other big-budget, special effects-laden movies. No question. There is a visual thing to it where you feel like you can touch the skin of some of these creatures and stuff. They don't feel like they're not really there. And it's disgusting. For sure. Amongst everything else going on on this ship, there's also some clear tension with David and Vickers. I guess one of the things that would maybe lend you to think Vickers is not a human is how easily she overpowers him and slams him into the wall. Well, that's true. Because you would think that these androids would be ultra-powerful. And she's just, just like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, but there's reasons why he wouldn't be able to hurt Vickers. Why? Because he's programmed that way. That's true. But... Because of her connection. It seems like you could indirectly... It's kind of hard to tell. We're, yeah. we're not really sure yet because we're still a ways away from Alien, but that whole thing with Bishop and aliens talking about how they're programmed a certain mm-hmm. way. I don't know. Who knows? David secretly investigates the cylinder he brought on board, cracking it open like a six-pack to get at that (laughs) menacing-looking dark liquid inside. He then intentionally taints a drink with the liquid and gives it to the unsuspecting Holloway, who had stated he would do anything for answers. Hmm. Almost like trying to get justification for what he's about to do. He's like, would you do anything? Well, here you go. Here's your opportunity. Let me fucking ruin your life and kill you. It's us. It's everything. 
would kill them. Big things have small beginnings. Am I interrupting? Thought you might be running low. Pour yourself a glass, pal. Thank you, but I'm afraid it would be wasted on me. Oh, all right. I almost forgot you're not a real boy, huh? I'm very sorry that your engineers are all gone, Dr. Holloway. <laughs> you think we wasted our time coming here, don't you? Your question depends on me understanding what you hope to achieve by coming here. What we hope to achieve was to meet our makers, to get answers. Why they... why they even made us in the first place. Why do you think your people made me? We made you because we could. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you to hear the same thing from your creator? <laughs> I guess it's a good thing you can't be disappointed, huh? Yes. It's wonderful, actually. May I ask you something? Please do. How far would you go to get what you came all this way for? Your answers. What would you be willing to do? Anything and everything. That's worth drinking to, I'd imagine. Here's mud in your eye, pal. Good health. Meanwhile, back in the structure, Fifield and Milburn find other dead bodies, which upset them even further. The prevailing theory amongst everyone at this point on the ship and not is that the engineer species is extinct. There's some palpable disappointment with Shaw and Holloway. They've made the scientific discovery of a lifetime, but it's not what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, typical humans. They wanted answers, and it doesn't seem at this point like they're going to get any. All right. Like we said, back to stasis, back in, to Earth. In one of the screenplay drafts for Alien, there was a sex scene between Ripley and Dallas to show how crew members would engage in casual sex during long space travels simply to fulfill their needs. Ridley Scott never filmed the scene, but the idea was reused here for this film in the exchange between Vickers and Yannick, which kind of comes out of nowhere. I love it. And then he does ask, are you a robot? <laughs> it's almost as if that's a meta thing. They wanted to just address what they were going for head on because yeah. it does seem obvious that they want the audience to question it. Now, I don't know what the answer is supposed to be. I don't think that she is. I don't either. And I kind of take the joke to be just because she's so cold. Well, yeah, that is why he asks. Yeah. She definitely acts like a robot right. sometimes. Shaw has sex with a clearly infected Holloway. Conveniently, choice. right after the audience has learned that she is unable to have children. So that, of course, mm -hmm. ringing we'll in your head. In. Yeah. 
a little bit of body horror stuff here in the next morning when Holloway is looking in the mirror. Oh, yeah. Oh, tough for me to watch. Inside the structure, a snake-like creature, which has become known as a hammerpede, latches onto Milburn's arm, breaking it. These guys are a little callous about the whole whole interaction. Would you not be more afraid? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if callous is the right word, but na- yeah, like naive. Yeah. That's specifically another complaint that people have listed is the way they interact with this animal doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you engage with it and try to lure it onto you or whatever he even does? He's like talking to it and getting close to it. Yeah. Fifield, in all fairness, is like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Stop that. Yeah, it, it wraps around Milburn's arm, rips it open, hacking the arm in half, basically. Oof. Fifield attempts to cut it off. But its blood is a corrosive acid, just like an alien melting Fifield's helmet and causing him to fall face first into a puddle of the dark black liquid. The hammerpede regenerates its own head, which is wild, gets into Milburn's suit, and kills him by entering his mouth. Oof. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking maybe this dark liquid is bad news. I would stay away. Yeah, that's one of the things that I struggled with the first time I watched this movie is what exactly is the dark liquid and what does it do? And there is no clear answer because it seems like you can get it to do all kinds of stuff depending on how you interact with it, Mm -hmm. what you do with it. If you ingest a little bit and then have sex with someone, it seems to impregnate them. If you dump your whole face into it, you become this weird folding zombie monster that wants to kill if it gets on a worm that's living in space dirt it becomes a hammerpede it can lead to xenomorphs it can lead to ultramorphs it can lead to the trilobite it can lead to different face huggers all kinds of shit and then once those things are made the way that they interact with things can make new things don't mix it with anything which is sort of the plot of Alien Covenant. It's yeah. like, well, what if we mix this and this and this? And what's going to happen now? And blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to see a straight line right now from the black liquid to the specific xenomorph from Alien. But who knows? There's all kinds of stuff at play. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't know exactly. Holloway's eyes are fucked up. Yeah, rough. What is that, like a worm in is his that, eye? Like, coming out of his eye? Yeah, he doesn't seem to say anything about it. I think you're just living in denial at that point. It's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> It'll I'm be fine. seeing things. <laughs> the crew returns to the structure in order to find Fifield and Milburn. David once again finds a way to go off and do his own thing. While no one else suspects anything, the crew discovers Milburn's corpse, and Holloway's infection becomes obvious and apparent as he sickens rapidly. He is rushed back to Prometheus, but Vickers, in a moment that mirrors Ripley in Alien, refuses to let him aboard as he's infected. If you remember, Ripley did the same thing. That's right. At his urging, Vickers burns him to death mm-hmm. with a flamethrower. Yeah, sacrifices himself. I think at this point it was putting him out of his misery. Yeah, he looks pretty rough right. at this point. It, it goes fast, because he's normal enough... When they're helmeting up where the people aren't noticing anything, and then all of a sudden he doesn't even look like a human anymore. Yeah. It's a very traumatic moment. Absolutely. Rough for Shaw. <laughs> her Certainly. partner dead, burned alive in front of her. Yeah, and there is sort of a callous moment with 
David later where he references her father dying the same way. Mm-hmm. And he says something about Ebola, contracting Ebola and dying. And it is possible that her father was burned to death, too, to stop the spread of Ebola. Oh, yeah, okay. But I don't know. We don't really know. Sure. They actually kept the shocked look on Charlize Theron's face, which is like a break in character because she usually doesn't react, because she insisted on doing the stunt herself. So they had her light a stuntman on fire, and then she was like freaked out at actually doing it. And they were like, oh, we should just keep this because it's a fun break in her character, which usually doesn't have any emotions. She was like, oh, man, that's hot. Can we do something about this heat? (laughs) It's a (laughs) flamethrower. What was that movie called? The Four Fists of McCluskey? Yeah. Something. <laughs> On his own, David discovers a control room in the structure containing a surviving engineer in stasis and a holographic star map highlighting Earth. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of start maybe putting some of this together. Maybe they're planning a trip. <laughs> a fun little picnic A nice to vacation, Earth. yeah. Later, a medical scan reveals that Shaw, despite being previously infertile, is now in advanced pregnancy. Yeah, David is... is, um, not what you want to hear. Dr. David is uh, (laughs) just delivering news. Yeah, it seems like he somehow knew this was going to happen. I don't know how he knew that was going to happen, but somehow. Yeah, he knew that they were going to get busy that night. Well, I guess he had to hope. I guess after you make a discovery like the head of an engineer, you know there's going to be some magic happening that evening. (laughs) Yeah, because it would have all been for naught if he yeah. didn't fuck Shaw, and then they just burned him, and it's like, well, that really didn't go anywhere. He just plays like Marvin Gaye over the ship's PA system. <laughs> my, my. You're pregnant. What? From the look of it, three months, sir. No, that's impossible. I can't be pregnant. Did you have intercourse with Dr. Holloway? Yes, but 10 hours ago, there's no bloody way I'm I'm three months pregnant. Well, Doctor, it's not exactly a traditional fetus. I want to see it. Don't think that's a good idea. David, I want to see it. Now, Doctor, I want to see it. I want it out of me. I'm afraid we don't have the personnel to perform a procedure like that. Our best option... I want it out. ...put you back into cryostasis until we return to Earth. Please, get it out of me. Get it out of me! Please. It must be very painful. Here, let me give you something. Long shortly to bring you back to Cryodeck. Must feel like your god abandoned you. What? To lose Dr. Holloway after your father died under such similar circumstances. What was it that killed him? Ebola. your dreams. 
So this whole thing plays into the biblical riff mm-hmm. of the story. You could have Shaw as the Virgin Mary and David as the Archangel Gabriel telling Mary that she's pregnant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bad news, Mary. It's all very sweet. <laughs> I know that they might stone people around here for getting pregnant out of wedlock, but you're pregnant. <laughs> and in this sense, we can go a little further because I saw some insane idea that Ridley Scott had, which thankfully they didn't include, which was a whole thing about an engineer returning to Earth to try to calm them down when humanity was getting too violent and out of control, and then they crucified him, meaning that the engineer was Jesus. Oh, gosh. I was like, I don't know, man. I think that probably wouldn't have gone over that well. (laughs) I think that was a good idea to get rid of that. much. David's plan is to put Shaw back into stasis and return to Earth, which is something we're sort of familiar with, with some of these other alien entries in the franchise. There's always this thing of, like, can we get these aliens back into Earth for some reason? I don't really know what David's plan even is. Is he going to try to take over the world with this alien in her stomach? I don't know. I, David seems like he's making it up on the fly. But Shaw's got a plan of her own. Fight her way to that medical pod in Vickers' chambers and cut this fucking thing out of her stomach. I don't know if we talked about the med pod enough, but there is no. one on board. Yeah. Super cool design. Highly capable of insane surgeries. Emergency surgeries on its own without um, anyone operating it. Weird that this model seems to be specifically for men. Well, yeah. Okay. There's I thought a, it was Vickers. It's in her room, but it's okay. for her father. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I don't know. <laughs> Matt having a real tough time following this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it seems weird to me that it wouldn't be a gender-neutral machine. Yeah, I know. I, I think that's just supposed to be a clue. Yeah. That kind of stuff's just intentional. Because obviously if you're making it up, it could be gender neutral. But they wanted to leave these little Easter eggs as to what was going on. So she goes to the med pod in Vickers Chambers and cut this fucking thing out of her stomach. It is calibrated only for male patients, so she can't do a C-section. So she has to do this whole thing where it's like an intrusion in her stomach or something. So specific, yeah. Well, she's thinking on the fly, because no, I don't know if I would have thought of that. Yeah, I know. I would have been like, I don't, what the fuck did I say that's going on here? Right. This scene is so cool. Absolutely. You get forgiven for a lot of sins. The most memorable sequence in the entire movie. Because you were just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I cannot believe this is happening. Because we have the experience of watching the other Alien movies, so we yeah. know that it's not going to be a normal childbirth. No, no. She will be killed when yeah. this thing rips out of her stomach violently. It seems like it's a race against the clock right. all of a sudden. This fucking machine's doing its business. It cuts right across her stomach. Disgusting. Takes those two things to like spread <laughs> the apart. wound apart. Yeah. It's like yeah. dip in there, pull it out. It's in like an embryonic sack, which opens up. Ugh. And then, like, that bloody goo flies all over the place. It's so disgusting. I know. Just a little mother-child skin-to-skin bonding yep. going on here. You know, the normal stuff. Yeah, she doesn't have any uh, motherly care for this thing, though. For Elizabeth Shaw's abdominal surgery scene, a fake silicon body was attached to Numi Rapace from the shoulders down. The small trilobite, which is what they call this thing, in the amniotic sac that is pulled from her fake body was an animatronic creature wrapped in a condom filled with fake blood. A crew member punctured the condom with a razor, which was removed in post-production, so that the 
amniotic sac would explode violently. Ugh. They experimented <laughs> with amber and milky colored fluid first to secure an R rating, but were eventually allowed to use a version with red blood. They seemed so worried about getting an R rating for this movie, and I'm not really sure why. It doesn't seem like it's that extreme. No. Stapling the wound afterwards was an idea by Ridley Scott. The whole thing with her wound and the staples becomes a fucking thing that people bitch about because she does do a lot of physical activity. And if this was normal post-surgery stapling in present time, of course it would rip open. It would be horrible. But there is a shot at some point later on where it seems like it's healing very rapidly as Mm -hmm. if the staples that are put into her stomach are not exactly like what we use today. It's some sort of different kind of thing. I don't know. Is that bullshit just to make it work? Yes. Let me say this, people. The fact that this machine exists (laughs) tells me we're well beyond the capabilities of current medical... Current staples. (laughs) It's a little different. I know. I think if you're this deep into the movie and you're enjoying it and you just thought that was really fucking cool... Having this... Who gives a shit if she's running around and falling all over the place after the fact? Who cares? I don't know. Having this set piece in the middle of the movie kind of made the whole thing worth it for me. Oh, yeah. That's what I kept coming back to. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, it has this fucking scene, which was so awesome that that's worth the price of admission right there. But even when it pulls it out of her, it's just kind of like hanging above her. It's so gross and, and scary. Yeah, you, it seems like it's trying to get at her. I know. It's you like know, pulsating. We know from experience that these things are fucked up and it doesn't look exactly like anything else from the alien universe because we haven't quite evolved to the regular xenomorph shit yet Mm -hmm. but yeah it's fucked up a monstrous mutated Fifield returns to prometheus and kills several people before being killed himself so this is weird (laughs) yeah first of all it's a reference to a cut scene from Alien where the xenomorph folds itself up that same way mm. and Ripley comes across it and it unfolds like that. Okay. So they have him fold in this weird way where it seems like he's crumpled up, like he couldn't possibly be alive, but he somehow got to the ship on his own and he's just there. And then he unfurls himself and he's all mutated and fucked up. There were a lot of different variations. There was one where his appearance was closer to the traditional xenomorph look with the elongated head. Like he was almost a mix between a human and a xenomorph. But ultimately they wanted to move away from all of those connections to the alien and the the classic xenomorph stuff. There was another version where they made him look like a combination of what we see in this movie. The hammerpede thing which killed Milburn and the deacon which is sort of like a xenomorph, but not quite at the end of the film, like a combo of that. But then they just went with this weird fucking zombie thing. It's hard to explain. But if you put your face first into the fucking black goo, this is what happens. You turn into a folding man. Not recommended. (laughs) Stumbling around in a daze after her fucked up alien C-section, Shaw discovers what has been obvious for some time now. Wayland is still alive and has been in stasis aboard Prometheus the whole time. He only has a few days worth of life left in him. Turns out that he's seeking immortality from the engineers, and that's why he's come. It was a baffling decision at the time because we didn't know all of the the behind-the-scenes stuff and different things that were happening, but 
They cast Guy Pierce, a young man, to play a very old man, which mm-hmm. required five hours of makeup every day. Why would the they do this? Greatest look I've ever seen. It seems like the reason is because they wanted to film all that shit with him as a young man. Okay. That they used yeah. in the TED Talks and all the different shit or whatever. The promotional stuff. Because I guess Ridley Scott was considering Max von Sydow mm, which was a possibility. Good. Yeah. Whatever. They were able to get a little more usage out of it by having Guy Pierce be in that opening scene sure. of Covenant. Whatever. Who cares? I do like the part where Shaw is like freaking out and she's like, We were wrong. <laughs> yeah. We were wrong. And that's like tailor made to get into a trailer. Uh huh. Where you're like, uh oh. But David has a bombshell, which he's already shared with Wayland, which is why Wayland is now awake. There is one engineer still alive. Big news. Somehow, David is just sort of like, oh, so you take care of that little thing, your little problem? (laughs) (laughs) I know. He's basically like, I underestimated you. I didn't think you would do that. Meanwhile, no one's like, what happened to it? Where is it? Right. (laughs) What's going on? And it does just sort of live and grow on board the ship. Yeah, which leads to a whole other question, which I had the same thing from Alien, the original Alien, which is how do these things grow without eating? They just grow on their own. Yeah. Whatever. It gets huge, though. Yannick speculates that the structure is some kind of military base that lost control of a virulent biological weapon. Whatever that dark liquid is, they are not at the home of the engineers, the home planet. And this goes into the hubris. They thought they knew what they were doing, but why? Why would they think that? They don't know what they're doing. No, there was no indication that... They would. They show up at this place and just assume they have the full story. But then once you realize what's going on, you then think, well, why would they have the full story? Of course they wouldn't. So they show up at this military base that's creating some horrible weapon of mass destruction that seemingly can do any number of things Mm -hmm. when mixed with other things. Classic misjudgment. You know what? My bad. (laughs) Let's head back to Earth. (laughs) This was a bad idea. What do you think is happening in this film? <laughs> well, that these fucking engineers were like, we made a mistake. These humans suck. We got to go. So do you think they were monitoring what was warfare. going on on Earth and then at some point decided that to end Earth, but then their biological weapon got fucked up? I guess so. Although it does seem weird that this would be the way. Haven't we're, these we're motherfuckers ever heard of bombs? Yeah, I know. Seems like it would be so much easier. Right. It seems like them trifling with this stuff is a bad idea, which I guess is part of it, because it does backfire in the engineers. You came after all. I thought you wanted me to. After all your vigorous attempts to stop me from coming here, I'm just surprised to see you. It's all right, David. Leave us alone. Yes, sir. If you're really going down there, you're going to die. Very negative way of looking at things. Exactly why you should have stayed at home. Did you really think I was going to sit in a boardroom for years arguing over who was in charge while you go look for some miracle in some godforsaken rock in the middle of space? 
king has his reign and then he dies. It's inevitable. That is a natural order of things. Anything else? No. then learn that Vickers is Waylon's daughter. Yeah. Allegedly. And it seems like there's a lot of daddy issues going yeah. on here. Yeah. Okay. I will admit that this is stupid and this is something that people did complain about. They act as if the revelation that Wayland is still alive and the revelation that Vickers is his daughter is a big deal. But when you actually step back and think about it. Factors into nothing. It doesn't really matter. Mm. Would any of this information have changed Shaw and Holloway's desire to go there? No. What difference does it make? And what right. difference does it make to the audience that Vickers is his daughter? Who gives a shit? I know. It doesn't change anything. I don't but know. It, it's weird. I agree. They're not valuable surprise moves, but it also doesn't offend me or take me out of it either. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Off- no, no. It doesn't right. have any negative yeah. feeling for me, but it is weird that they act like it's a big reveal, yeah. but it's clearly like. Who gives a shit? Right. Although I do think that the way that she says father and everything is supposed to further the is she android, is she not android thing. It's really just to have another plot detail for what's next because the whole mission has fallen apart. Yeah. And somehow Wayland is only taking the advice of David who has convinced him, okay, well, we found one of these things and I think I can talk to it. (laughs) Okay. Well, meanwhile, everyone else is dying. Right. I don't know if you heard about what happened to Fifield, but he just showed up and he was like an accordion man. I don't know what makes you think that we're going to be able to talk to this thing and it's going to care what we have to say. And it's going to go well. Yeah. (laughs) Waylon and the team, including Shaw, return to the structure. Yes, this includes the people Shaw recently bashed on the head, like Ford, to get to that med pod. And no, no one really addresses it or mentions that this just happened moments ago. (laughs) Outside of David, who sort of jokes about the whole alien fetus ordeal, and then once they're inside, he basically reveals that he infected Holloway. Right. So, okay. At this point, I guess Shaw's like, well, I'm in too deep now. I need to see if there's really one of these things alive well, and, and what we can do with it. In all reality, what's she going to do about it? Nothing, but she yeah. could at least react. True. She doesn't even really... Re- she just sort of is like, yeah. what? Well, you, you I stink her. She's she's in a state of trauma at this point. She witnessed Holloway get burned alive and then had some sort of alien creature growing inside of her that was removed <laughs> surgically in like a five second procedure. Yes. So for those of you who are confused, me, the med pod was programmed for a male for Wayland because mm-hmm. I guess in advanced medical science, he thinks that they know exactly how much life he has. Not to the moment, but literally down to like, well, you have a few days. Yeah. So he gets put into stasis so that he can save those few days for when they get to this fucking place. That's why they don't even wake him up when they get there. They wait until they have something. David says he has something. The med pod, I guess, would be if he woke up and had a heart attack or something, they could try to address it because he's so desperate to get an answer to immortality 
that he's thinking, I just need to get to this guy who can maybe help me. It's stupid, but yeah. when you're confronted with death and you are so narcissistic that you believe you should live forever, then it kind of makes sense. What right. is, why not, I guess? It's sort of uh, like, yeah. what else am I doing? Having a god complex is like in the Whalen family. The structure houses a spacecraft. It's a U-shaped ship like the one, the derelict ship in Alien, the one we're familiar with, mm-hmm. same design. It is packed to the brims with this biological weapon, so obviously you can start piecing it together. Destination Earth, got a lot of this shit on it. Oh, right. fuck. Shaw and Yannick seem to understand what the others aren't seeing. Exactly. The others are missing this, uh-huh. and they're like, okay, well, clearly they weren't happy with us, and something bad was going to happen right. if they got to get out Yeah, of I mean, Yannick lays it all out there. David wakes the engineer from stasis. Honestly, at one point, they date the corpse at 2,000 years old. Mm-hmm. So this motherfucker was sleeping for 2,000 years. Wild. I wish I could do that. So at this point in the movie, especially on first viewing, well, I guess specifically on first viewing, I'm thinking David is the only character that can have some sort of a standoff with an engineer. These guys seem brooding, big. Yeah, they're taller than humans. Yeah. Ripped, even when they're sleeping for 2,000 right. years. So I'm thinking we're building to some sort of a showdown there. No. <laughs> David speaks to the engineer in Proto-Indo-European, which is, I guess, some sort of a dead language pieced together. I don't know if anyone can actually speak it, but it's a thing. Okay. I don't know. To try and explain what Whalen wants, it does not go great. <laughs> The engineer responds by decapitating David and using the android's head to kill Wayland. Yep. <laughs> Some plan that turned out to be. Nice job, David. Yeah, there's a deleted scene where they talk and there's actually, there might even be subtitles or David explains it more. I know there's different things on YouTube with the subtitles and stuff where the engineer's like, why are you here? You weren't supposed to come here. It's so much better that it's this abrupt yeah. because it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like, well, that plan went really great. <laughs> yeah. The engineer also quickly dispatches most of Wayland's team. I guess by just punching them to death, it seems like they're being tossed around, and I guess they're right. all dead. We never see them again. It's just a beatdown. It's Brock Lesnar. Before reactivating the spacecraft. You can take your helmet off if you like, sir. What? The air is perfectly breathable. You sure? Positive. Wait. We still don't know how Holloway got infected. If it's in the air. It's not. How do you know that? Smells fine to me. Shall we? Please. The bridge is just up ahead. What is this? It's a cargo hold. Yannick, are you seeing this? How many is there, Shaw? Thousands. What the hell? Ravel, give me no schematics. Putting it on the table now. Strip away the dome, isolate that area. Bring it up. Bringing it up, Captain. 
Enlarge that. Rotate it. There's a ship. Jesus Christ. It's a goddamn ship. A superior species, no doubt. Their hypersleep chambers will impress, I trust. So they were traveling somewhere. I've managed to work out the broad strokes. It's fairly evident they were in the process of leaving before things went apart. Leaving to go where? Earth. Why? Sometimes to create, one must first destroy. Where is he, David? This way, sir. You sure he's alive? Absolutely. You can speak to him? I believe I can. What's in his cargo? It killed his people. Sure. Enough. David. You made it here. And, and it was meant for us. Why? Sure, enough. For God's sake, shut her up. What's it? <laughs> I need to know why. What did we do wrong? Why do you hate us? Did you ever tell mother again? Shoot her. David, continue. Tell him why I came. Mother, my. Yana Murtusteda. Kuiva. On itam. Sostatar Kreda. sequence is cool because not only does the ship come to life which is under the surface of the structure like the structure itself connects mm -hmm. down into it but you realize that the surface that they were on is all part of it and it starts to move away right. 
And then you have that dramatic thing of no, Shaw um, trying to run back to Prometheus, and the ground is literally going yeah. out from under her. No weather damage to this ship over 2,000 years. Everything is in immaculate yeah. condition. <laughs> it's still good to go straight yeah. to Earth. Well, we don't understand no, the technology. Maybe 2,000 yeah. years to them is not that long. Absolutely. Who knows? Shaw flees and warns Yannick that the engineer is planning to release all of that liquid on Earth convincing the captain that he must stop that spacecraft by any means necessary. So Yannick, Chance, and Ravel very quickly decide that, yes, we will sacrifice ourselves for this. And they ram Prometheus into the alien craft, ejecting the lifeboat and Vickers just before collision. Which she gets a little bit of a weird pitch from Yannick, which is like, well, you can live in your thing and survive for two years. Or you can die right now. Yeah. The engineer's disabled spacecraft crashes onto the ground and rolls on top of Vickers while Shaw narrowly escapes with her life. Now, this is another fucking thing where there's so many nitpicks about Mm. them turning to run away from the spacecraft instead of running to the sides, which would have potentially saved them faster. But I think when you panic... Well, critics, let's put you in this position and yeah, see what happens. I think when you panic in those kind of situations, your first instinct is to just turn and run, even yeah. if it doesn't make sense. I think people who are looking for logic in some sort of heightened situation like that, it's a little ridiculous. I am disappointed with Vickers' departure from the film. I don't know. I wish there was a little bit more there. It would have been cool if she got somehow involved with that trilobite monster, which was waiting for her mm-hmm. for that lifeboat, but... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I did think that that scene was cool because it's, yeah, a, it's a situation where the ship is high up off the ground, but it's not high enough to just completely explode when it hits the ground. And so you're treated to some visuals that you don't usually see, which True. is a circular spacecraft crashing back down to Earth and then rolling on the ground. Right. I don't know. It's kind of cool. No, I know. It is a cool sequence. Running out of oxygen, Shaw makes her way to the lifeboat pod, but her... Squid Baby has grown and is waiting to give Mommy a great big hug and kiss. (laughs) Hi, Mom. How is this thing so big? I I don't understand how it can get so big. Right. I don't know. I guess their biology is just confounding to us. We can't wrap our minds around it. Basically, what it looks like is a giant face hugger Mm -hmm. for those of us familiar with the original Alien films. It's huge, though. They call this thing the trilobite, which is based on something i don't really know what as shaw is coming to grips with the idea that there is something else in this lifeboat david comes over the radio and gives her a warning that the engineer has left that ship because i guess he survived and is now looking for her although i don't know how he knows that there's someone else to look for yeah i don't know i don't know i didn't see anyone call out that exactly but i will agree that logic is not great there but it's just is sort of trying to speed to the ending What, are you going to have them live together on this rock for a day or two before they realize there's someone else there? I don't (laughs) know. Whatever. We just are cutting to it. Maybe he's just fucking pissed and the rest of Prometheus was destroyed and he noticed there was a lifeboat and he's like, some motherfucker's in there. Yeah. I'm getting them. Wiping them out. The engineer forces open the lifeboat's airlock and attacks Shaw, who releases her alien offspring from the med pod room onto the engineer. And of course... What's a baby going to do but protect its mommy? Oh, yeah. The engineer is quickly overmatched. God, that trilobite thing is fucking a nightmare. I know. It's so horrifying. Scary. Giant mouths and 
tentacle things that come out and want that one thing that like goes down the engineer's throat i guess releasing the eggs or whatever the fuck is gonna happen oh god it's so gross it's the end of the line for the engineer but this is cool this is one of those moments where you can see they use giant models and yes they did cgi to smooth right the movements and different things and some of the impossible stuff but yeah it looks cool with this giant fucking thing on this guy it looks incredible yeah Shaw takes all that new oxygen things, and then he, she goes back outside. She just lays on the ground and starts finally having a breakdown. <laughs> she finally has so. a moment to breathe. She's earned it. <laughs> David's like calling over the radio. Hey, girl. You want to team up now? Yeah. Kind of weird, but we're the last two left. You know, I know I fucked up, but <laughs> <laughs> I could really use your help. Yeah. David reaches out. Shaw rallies, recovers David's remains, and with his help, Launches another engineer spacecraft because apparently there's more on this rock. But instead of returning to Earth, Sean tends to reach the engineer's home world in an attempt to understand why they wanted to destroy humanity. I'm glad she can figure out how to pilot this thing. Didn't think that was in her area of expertise. Well, David does it. Remember the part where he says, I think I can do it? Yeah. But he's not assembled by the end of this movie, is he? Well, physically, but yeah, mentally, <laughs> yeah, okay. he's doing he's it. He's talking her through it, right? Yeah. yeah. I think you just got to push those weird buttons that yeah. look like eggs. He's doing it with his nose. May I ask what you hope to achieve by going there? They created us. Then they tried to kill us. They changed their minds. I deserve to know why. The answer is irrelevant. Does it matter why they changed their minds? Yes. Yes, it does. I don't understand. Well, I guess that's because I'm a human being. And you're a robot. Sorry. That's quite all right. Final report of the vessel Prometheus. The ship and her entire crew are gone. If you're receiving this transmission, make no attempt to come to its point of origin. There's only death here now, and I'm leaving it behind. It is New Year's Day, the year of our Lord, 2094. My name is Elizabeth Shaw, last survivor of the Prometheus, and I'm still searching. Shaw's final message at the end of the film closely mirrors that of Ripley's final log entry at the end of Alien from 1979. Both messages include indication of being a final log entry, description of the fates of the ship's respective crews, and identifying themselves as the last surviving crew member of the Nostromo or Prometheus in this instance. So they did not necessarily shy away from 
every single connection to the original. They wanted to have little echoes here and there. Mm -hmm. I do like when she says the year of our Lord 2094. I thought that was cool. Right. Back in the lifeboat pod, an alien creature bursts out of the engineer's chest for a nice little button on the end of the film. Yeah, just a fun little tag on menacing music so in this instance when you have a trilobite mixed with an engineer you get what they referred to as an ultramorph which is nicknamed deacon because of its big head it looks sort of like a deacon hat or whatever but it resembles the alien we're familiar with yeah it's similar traits to the xenomorph it's a nice little button so that you know okay aliens connected here a little bit more for the alien planet Creatures and technology, Ridley Scott instructed the design team to aim for a look that could logically come before the original Alien and thus not to rely too heavily on Swiss artist H.R. Giger's famous original planet and xenomorph designs. However, almost all of the team's drawings eventually contained subconscious Giger-esque embellishments. Mm Mm-hmm while also drawing inspiration from several unused designs for Alien. So in the end, it was decided to invite Giger or Geiger, I can't never remember how to say his name, even though I've heard it plenty of times, to come over, who approved of the use of his old ideas and gave additional input on reverse engineering his original designs for the new film. Further inspiration was drawn from the works of Russian 3D artist Gutelin, parentheses Alex Kozanov, I guess it's a stage name Gudelin. Giger died of fall-related injuries in 2014, making this the last movie related to the Alien franchise that he worked on. Before we get into a little bit of our Alien Covenant rage, sure. I thought I'd, I'd go through a little bit of Spates' original ideas from the original screenplay. There's a lot more recognizable elements from Alien also contained several scenes in an ending that were removed or thoroughly rewritten in later versions. Peter Whelan only appears in the beginning and doesn't come along at all. His obsession is not with eternal life, but with a desire to retrieve the engineer's profitable terraforming technology. So right there, How about that? that conflicts yeah. with what Ridley Scott, I think, ultimately wanted. Right. That's more of a very scientific, straightforward mm-hmm. capitalist thing, Yeah, which you know, fits with maybe the evil idea of these corporations. He's just purely financial. But Scott clearly wanted there to be more of a spiritual... Yes, existential. Yeah, that kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. Milburn is still killed by a hammerpede, which later jumps from his body and kills another crew member with its acidic spit. Yannick and the others kill it with axes. Fifield is infected by the black liquid from the ampules and transforms into a xenomorph-like creature, which I alluded to. That was one of the original designs. It is Shaw who runs over him with a vehicle. A mortally wounded Yannick teaches Shaw how to operate the Prometheus so she can fly it into the engineer's ship named the Juggernaut. That was just a nickname for the engineer's ship. After setting it on a ramming course, she objects in the escape pods together with Vickers. The Ultramorph Deacon, which comes out of the Engineer, originally had a much larger part. After the Juggernaut crashes, it emerges from the wreckage and chases Shaw into Vickers' suite, where she kills it. Stuck on the planet, Shaw explores different areas and finds other underground corridors and chambers. The movie would have ended with Shaw discovering 
a frozen underground lake with the terraforming chamber and a large garden underneath it. I guess meaning that she would be able to live there. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. There's some interesting ideas. I've I've heard sure. that people do like that script, but I don't know that it necessarily was capturing the as you say, the existential or the more spiritual side of it. Right. That, that those larger questions. It was much more connected to the original alien, I think which is something they clearly wanted to back away from at a certain point. Which brings us to Alien Covenant, where they decide to... Go back. Go back towards <laughs> yeah. that direction and ignore most of the stuff that I found most interesting about Prometheus. It sort of shows the spectrum of Ridley Scott, the difference between Prometheus well, and Alien Covenant. Ridley Scott doesn't write the scripts. Yeah. And I think what happened with... Alien Covenant, which was also originally named Paradise at different times, was the same thing that happened with Prometheus. A lot of changes, a lot of trying to figure out exactly what they wanted to do. I think the studio got a little more involved than they were before. For whatever reason, it totally backfired. It made less money, whatever. But if you factor in everything from Prometheus, including the deleted materials and the, the supplemental stuff... Mm-hmm. There is a through line with David talking about the hubris and playing God. Yeah. So what Wayland believes is that he is the same as an engineer. He gets to be a God too because he created David. That's right. what he's saying. Mm-hmm. I should be like you. Now, he doesn't know for a fact that the engineers are immortal. I don't really think that they are, but whatever. Humans are stupid. They think yes. that these guys are gods, so... I get to be like you because I made David. And then the engineer is like, let me show you how shitty David is. I'll rip his head off and kill you with it. How about that? <laughs> what now, Wayland? But it plants a seed yeah. in the android's mind, I guess if you want to call it that, where he wants to be a god. And so he wants to experiment with life. And that's what Alien Covenant is. A lot of mutations, experimentations, the same kind of hubris of playing god. Yeah. With the black liquid, with the xenomorphs, with all this different shit, they start crossbreeding, mm-hmm. cross-mixing, all this stupid shit. Now, let me say this. When Prometheus ended and I left the theater, I felt some excitement for a follow-up to it. I walked away yeah, from it feeling as did like, I, I want to see where they're going, David yes. and Shaw. Yeah, they left it open for a sequel. It seemed ready-made. They're heading to a new place. Not very complicated. Sort of on a team. Numi Rapace returns as Shaw only for the online shorts, the viral campaign that bridged the gap between the two films. They don't really tell you much of the story other than her reassembling David and different things like that. I read an interview with Rapace where she says Ridley Scott asked her to do those things. She did not seem particularly bitter about not being in Covenant. I also saw another interview with someone else that seemed to imply that that was a studio decision. I doubt that Ridley Scott would have been like, well, I definitely don't want her in it yeah, or anything like that. I don't know why they didn't learn anything from Alien 3, which is don't kill characters that people like in between movies yeah. because then everyone will be disappointed. I remember when we went to go see it, I wasn't even 100% convinced she wasn't in it. I wasn't Same. really sure what was going on. Yeah. Because I think at one point she was in a trailer on the IMDb credits, okay, or something, which IMDb is not the best source for. It's not a hundred percent accurate all the time, especially before a movie comes out. I do feel but, like we talked about it going up where we were unclear to what capacity 
or if at all she was in. So not only is this popular character dead and David has turned on her, which I guess makes sense, but I would have maybe liked to have seen that as the movie or something. Sure. There was a version of the script that did exist where she is hiding from David when this other crew arrives and she is a part of the film. I don't know why that changed or what happened. That was never fully revealed. That did exist. Like I said, just like Prometheus, multiple versions of the script. Uh Tons of different ideas. So what you end up getting is Catherine Waterston, Danny McBride, Billy Crudup, Damian Bashir, Jesse Smollett, of all people, Callie Hernandez, various others. They're this new crew. There's a fire on their ship where James Franco dies like right at the beginning. Yeah. You don't even really see him for more than like a second or something. Whatever. David becomes the focal point. He has another android twin named Walter. Different shenanigans happen. But in addition to Numi being dead, we find out eventually that David showed up and eradicated the yep, right. engineers. Total extinction. He just easily wiped them out yep. with this weapon, their own biological weapon against them, I guess. Mm-hmm. So everything Lame. from Prometheus yeah. doesn't matter is wiped out, yeah. basically. And you're just on this alien planet with a bunch of different alien shit happening. Once you it get does. past that, it's okay it's sort of like more a horror movie where just random kills happen and that's kind of it there's not a whole lot of story or lore to it no you said it It is like alien 3 in that way where they're just like everything that you thought was cool we're done with yeah here's something else (laughs) yeah i kind of think that ridley scott at his advanced age was just like this is the script so this is what we're doing i think he probably knew that it was dumb to do that but you know there's a few cool moments in it but it mostly stinks the ending sets up for another thing where you have an evil robot still david i guess i don't want to spoil everything but Mm -hmm. you know going away with the surviving woman Catherine waterston doesn't seem like that's ever leading us anywhere no i know they're doing an fx show Sort of like the Fargo thing that is also taking place in this same universe. I don't know whatever happened to that. Okay. I don't know how close that is or if that's still happening, but it was the same guy that Noah Holloway. Is his name Noah Holloway? Uh, or am I just thinking? I, I don't know. Howley. Howley or something. Okay. That guy who did Fargo. Yeah. He also directed that movie with Natalie Portman where she plays the astronaut who wore diapers across the country. <laughs> And somehow they leave that out of the movie, the most interesting part. Anyway, (laughs) I would be interested in that, but I don't know where that is or whatever. And I think by the time we get another Alien movie, it will be completely disconnected from everything else. And they probably will just do a straight-up reboot or some stupid garbage, but, you know, whatever. All right. I think that's enough for Prometheus. People are tired of it. I'm sure a fair amount of our listeners don't even like it. It Hmm. it does seem like one of the more divisive movies that I wanted to do in a while. I was surprised at the Letterboxd score. I mean, not that I thought that it was going to be beloved, but I was surprised that there was... Yeah, I would have thought more in the 3.5. Yeah, yeah, same. That's what I would have thought. It's closer to 3. Well, what can you do? Yep. I definitely don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think there's enough cool shit in it that it's fun. And like I yeah. said, I think you got to just turn your brain off just, sometimes and, and not I, worry about it. I really just have such an appreciation for the visual element of it. Yeah. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making pics. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? 
We have a wide variety of gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Okay, recommendations. Do you have one for this one? Yeah, why don't I do one? Since I watched it for the first time, the Damien Chazelle Whiplash movie. Where is this available? I think I watched it on Prime. Jesus. (laughs) Well, part of the thing should be to know where your recommendations are available. That should be a new rule going forward. Hold on. In the meantime, while Matt is looking that up, I'm sure most of our listeners who have wanted to see mm. Whiplash have seen it. But I did watch it on Prime because it's on. I have Showtime too through Prime, so it's actually it's on Showtime and Paramount Plus. Okay, so it's a, it's available a couple places. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell us about? Well, it, just or? that this guy has gone on to be this, I would say, pretty big director of this current <laughs> era. La La Land. I don't know that first man really. First Man is one that was critically beloved. I don't think it was really like a big hit or anything. Yeah. And then this year with Babylon, of course. But it kind of sat out there forever for me, like where I even thought about doing like blind buys of physical media at different times over the years and then just never did. And then finally, like in the middle of the night, I watched it. It is good, but it's almost infuriating for me to watch the way that J.K. Simmons' character is, which is great performance by him, but just these people that are this crazy assholes yeah about fucking drumming who gives a shit yeah (laughs) you see that this is a talented director it's kind of interesting the way his career has gone and he's kind of dabbled in a lot of different type material yeah well he took his one big shot to spend a ton of money on his epic with babylon i don't know that he's going to be given that opportunity again so you got to take your chances when you get them yeah yeah. so, so we'll see i'm glad i finally watched it I wanted to talk a little bit about the new film from Brandon Cronenberg called Infinity Pool, which is now available for purchase on streaming for about 15 bucks from Prime and Vudu and Redbox and a few of those streaming places that you can buy movies. I think it might still be in some theaters. It was not a huge theatrical release, but I don't know. I, I haven't been paying attention to what's in theaters at the moment. I know it was in there a few weeks ago. But it stars Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, and a bunch of other people. It's weird. Mia Goth has definitely become quite prolific. Yeah, she's the go-to for these weirdo directors now, I guess, who want to make fucked up movies, Mm -hmm. which is sort of her thing. She's great in it. I don't love it as much as Cronenberg Jr., Brandon Cronenberg's first film, Possessor, which I thought was pretty cool. Very dark and fucked up and haunting. This one is dark and weird and fucked up. It's not going to really stick with me the same way, I don't think. It has some interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil anything because it's so weird that you start going into a whole thing. and Just the trailer seemed pretty weird. Yeah, but if you're into David Cronenberg's work or more extreme, interesting, different kind of stuff that's a little bit more violent, more sexual more deviant, those kind of things that you know that I love, mm-hmm. then this is probably for you. If you wait a little bit, I'm sure the price is going to come down. I had to flat out buy it for $15. Oh, wow. It wasn't a rental, so Your I commitment. just have it. I love it. I figured 15 bucks. what the hell. Yeah. I wanted to watch it. I wasn't disappointed. It's a little long for me. I, I don't know that it needed to be close to two hours. Probably should have been 10 minutes shorter at least, but whatever. I thought it was pretty cool. I'm glad that there's guys like this out there. 
that are still pushing some boundaries, still trying to work on those fringes and the extreme edges of Definitely. things. But yeah, so check out Infinity Pool if that's your thing. As always, follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. And that is where you can reach us for listener requests, sticker requests, questions, comments, concerns. Concerns. Praise. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. We have a tip jar set up through Cash App. If you want to do listener requests or give us money in some other way, we can maybe do PayPal. I will set up an email as well at some point in the near future. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have not already done so, please tell your friends. We are a strictly word-of-mouth podcast. I don't know how else anyone would ever hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just people searching the app for random movies. That's true. couple of bros out here. (laughs) Definitely not. Far from bros. Yeah, Matt does not like to be called a film bro for (laughs) anyone out there. Come on. I thought it was funny. Film loser, maybe. Film chud. Yeah. (laughs) Film dolt. Yeah, just baffled by some of the things going on in Prometheus. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, why is this this set up for a man again? No, I get it. It it is sort of weird, but whatever. And find us on Letterboxd. Zach1983 and Matt Crosby on there. You know the drill. Folks, thank you for joining us. If things went to plan, I guess we did two episodes this week. We'll be back, hopefully, on a more normal schedule moving forward. But We will be. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Hope you took that opportunity to catch up. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. If you're down and confused And you don't remember who you're talking to Concentration Slip away your baby is so far away. Well, there's a road in the stand up, and the eagle flies with the dove. And if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you with, love the one you with, love the one you with, love the one you with. Don't be angry, don't be sad, but don't sit crying over good times ahead. There's a girl right next to you, and she's just waiting for something to do. And there's a rose in the bristling love, and the eagle flies with the dove.
it's a smiley face, so I'm assuming it's a positive result. Well, that's presumptuous. Are we 100% sure it's hers? Well, this test is 100% sure it's someone's. Oh, are you serious? I was ready to stop after one. Come to think of it, she has been very up and down lately, but I've been just chalking that up to the fact that her personal life is like a steaming pile of Someone shit. needs to talk to her. Well, don't look at me. I'm pretty sure she already knows it's a mistake. No, I'll talk to her. Yes, I'll tell her she has no right to lay this financial and psychological burden on us. Well, maybe I'll talk to her. Now she has to move into one of those homes for unwed mothers. Oh, my God, imagine. Moira, that's not going to happen. Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of them on this side of the tracks. Let the nuns take care of the little stranger. What Alexis needs now is to feel supported by her family. Huh. OK, um, I'm just going to say it. I am not in a place right now to be emotionally available to a baby. You know I'm a little disappointed in you, David. You spend a lot of time with Alexis. You could have done a better job looking out for her. OK, I'm sorry I'm not a condom. I always knew this would happen. Oh, God help us all. 